We are now doing a series through the topics of faith, hope, and love. And the subtitle of the series is called Hands-On Holiness. Hands-On Holiness. Now, we're a Wesleyan Methodist church. Did you know that? And John Wesley's um, real focus on the Christian life was if you, if you can't be a Christian and strive for holiness, then you're really just not appreciating all that God has for you. Now, I've been a, um, a Wesleyan Methodist, I think, for 13 years now. But before that, I was also a Christian, and I'm still a Christian. And um, but, but when I heard about the Wesleyan Methodist movement, I thought, oh, that's a bit of a strange, I might have said this before, but it's a bit strange, Wesleyan Methodist. Because um, when I was a kid growing up, anything that ended in East, you had to just watch out for, like communist or Satanist, stuff like that. So anyway, I met some Wesleyan Methodists and I thought they were lovely people, as you have as well. So it's good, isn't it? But we have this, we have this bent, as a lot of other denominations do, on one certain thing or one particular thing. All right. So the Baptists, guess what their bent is? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that was an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, obviously. And so with the, with the Wesleyan Methodist Church, our band is holiness. Now, when I first heard someone say that, I thought, oh, this is the wrong place for me because I know me. I know I'm not holy. I know the only person in existence that is holy is right now enthroned in heaven and the angels and the creatures up there are just bowing their faces and saying what they're looking at. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. You know, God is love, right? The Bible says God is love. He's a loving God. They're not saying love, love, love. They're not saying mighty, mighty, mighty. They're saying holy, holy, holy. Because he's holy and I'm not. All right? That's what I had a bit of a struggle with. Until someone said to me one day, look, Ian, it's just semantics. Holiness is the same as Christ-likeness. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that with his help. I'm not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but I could represent Christ as best I can and improve on that on a regular basis. I think we're all able to do that. You know, like we're not perfect. I'm not where I should be, but I'm so glad that I'm not where I used to be. And a whole lot of pictures just entered my mind of my past. I am so glad that I'm not where I used to be. But it's only because of his work in my life and my surrender to his love every single day to take step after step after step to represent Christ in my world or to represent Christ in my world. And um, faith, hope, and love, I think, are um, these, these, these three things are mentioned in um, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, weddings. They, this verse, this passage comes up in weddings, and the end of it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? I believe these are fundamental to the Christian life, these three things, all right? And we all need to grow 
in them. We all need to grow in our faith. We all need to grow in our hope. And we all need to grow in our love. Would you agree? I would agree. Thank you for nodding some people. The Bible mentions this triad. Can I call it a triad? It's just three things. I don't want to call it a trilogy or a trinity because it's not. It's just three things. Okay. It actually mentions this triad in a few places other than just 1 Corinthians 13. Did you know that? You might find this interesting, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes to this church, he says, As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of, your, because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've actually just started a, a, a study through Colossians and Philemon at uh, Home Group. And in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 4 and 5, Paul writes again, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which came from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. Can you see those three things? And it, you, you might read your Bible and they might, they might jump out to you. That's just a few places. There's other places too. It's really interesting that those three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. All right, we'll get there. But I thought we'd look at faith and hope. Okay, there's the intro. Today I'm talking about faith. Fully trusting God. Fully trusting God in every circumstance is tricky sometimes, right? It's a hard thing to do. And it's something that we all struggle with. But our faith is only as strong as what we believe about the object of our faith. Our faith is only as strong as what we believe about the object of our faith. <clears throat> Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This might be a different version to what you're used to hearing. I'll read it again. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. You know, you, you Christians are crazy. Like, I'm always amazed at how crazy Christians are, and I'm one of them. But look, can someone just pass me some faith? Can you show me? Just, I want to see some faith. I want to take a photo of it. Measure it. Take measure it. Um, did anyone bring any faith? What about hope? Someone. Did you bring hope? Where's the hope? I want to see it. What about the love? Where's the love? <laughs> Isn't that a song? <laughs> Where is the love? <laughs> <laughs> Josh, he's banging over there, singing to a song. Oh, Naomi, did you bring some love? Where is it? I want to see it. You know, these are, these are things that we, we hold on to in the Christian faith, and I can't see them. Not here, really. See, this is, this is like the locker room. No, the, the halftime dressing room where the team comes in and the coach talks about faith, hope, and love, and we get built up in our faith, hope, and love. And then the point of faith, hope, and love is not for here, it's for them. There. It's for those people that, you know, you work with, 
those people that you rub shoulders with, they need to see the hope and the faith and the love. You know, we, we please bring it to church as well. We like, we like it when you're loving and faithful and full of hope. We love that. But if you don't have any, come here and get your tank filled up as you worship the Lord because he is full of faith, hope and love. Our faith is only as strong as what we believe about the object of our faith. All right, now Jesus is attracted to faith. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Last week I preached on faith and talked briefly about how Jesus is attracted to faith. And I think I vaguely, I don't know who, whoever heard it, um, did I use the illustration of Jesus and Jairus and the woman with the bleeding disorder in Mark chapter 5? How Jesus is like walking along and Jairus comes along to Jesus and he says, my 12-year-old my daughter's going to die. Come and heal her, please. And so Jesus follows this man because he has faith. Now, it's funny because Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus has followers, but Jesus is now following a man. And so he follows this man because he's got faith. And Jesus follows faith. And as he's going, Jesus gets interrupted by more faith, touches, touching the, you know, the hem of his garment. And so he turns around and it's that woman with the bleeding issue. Do we know the story? Yeah. And she interrupts the whole procession, right? with her faith because Jesus is attracted to faith. And so she receives her miracle healing. Meanwhile, a friend of Jairus's comes along and says, look, it's too late now. Our prayer request for Jesus to come and do the miracle we expected can't happen anymore because the girl's dead. And what does Jesus then say? He says to Jairus, don't listen to that guy, just believe. And so from there on, Jesus is still following Jairus because he's believing all the way back to his little girl who's dead. And then Jesus ends up throwing all the people out that don't believe and keeping all the ones that do because Jesus works with faith. He actually loves it when we have faith. Now, it's not just like a mind over matter, you know, um, disregarding the facts. Like this is not like a let's pretend that everything's rosy and okay. That's not what faith is. Faith is actually looking at the facts and saying, well, the girl is dead. You know, I do have this bleeding issue. But overlooking that is someone greater who has greater authority, and that's Jesus. Anyway, um, Jesus is attracted to faith. Now, did I get you to go to Matthew chapter 8? Yeah, cool. So Matthew chapter 8, I want you to have, we're going to have a reading of uh, verse 5 to verse 13, and then from verse 23 to verse 27. So, when uh, verse 5 when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him asking for help lord he said my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering jesus said to him i will go and heal him the centurion replied lord i do not deserve to have you come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed for i myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I'll tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west 
and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now let's skip down to verse 23, please. Like there's other cool stuff in between, which is really good. But for tonight, I just wanted to share with you from this story. Verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. <laughs> um, Jesus, Jesus is attracted to faith, right? He is. If you want to get his attention, you have faith. Um, in Luke 18.8, we see Jesus tells this story about this woman and she, uh, it's a parable, and she goes to the unjust judge, and she wants justice, and he's not willing to give it to her. But she goes on and on and on and on, right? And he, the unjust judge says, basically, if, if, it, if it shuts her up, I'll give her what she needs, right? And she gets what she wants, because she kept, 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 kept going, all right? As Jesus was talking about how we should pray and not give up. And at the end of that parable, Jesus says these words, he says, when the Son of Man comes, in other words, comes back, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's actually, he's looking for faith right now. But when Jesus comes back, and he's coming back really soon, like, the, look, just look at the world. Like, it's, just, it's just, it's churning. It's just, it's going to get worse, but he's going to come back. All right. And when he comes back, He's looking for faith. It's interesting that Jesus would say that. Also in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, Jesus tells this parable about servants and how they were given certain things to use. And uh, they came back and two of them doubled what they were given and one of them hid it. And the two that doubled what they were given, Jesus said that the, the, um, the owner said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good. And that's what everyone is wanting to hear at the end. You know, when it's, when it's our time to kick the bucket, all we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. Just good and faithful, full of faith and good. <laughs> Jesus wants us to have faith. Now, Matthew 8 shows us what Jesus is looking for. And I love it how Matthew illustrates it. This man is a centurion. He's a Roman officer. He's a Gentile. He's, a, he's an unbeliever. He's a dirty, he's like for a Jewish person, he's dirty pig. All right. He's unclean. Okay. But he comes to Jesus and in verse uh, five, it says, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, I don't know what your version says, but some of yours might say came pleading. It's actually not just asking for help, like as if like, oh, well, you know, you're the next person I'm going to ask. This is actually inferring that this guy is so desperate. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. Now think about this. He's a centurion. He's a Roman officer. He's in charge of a whole lot of tough guys. He is a tough guy. 
all right? He is, he is like Die Hard, the movie, that's just G-rated. This guy is tough. He does not cry at funerals. He is very, very in charge. And he's very responsible. And he, yet here he is, not caring about what anyone else thinks, but he's coming to Jesus pleading to this Jewish rabbi who doesn't have a home. And he's a Roman official. This must get Jesus' attention. And he comes to Jesus pleading. And Jesus, uh, and, and he's not pleading for his own child, which I would understand. He's pleading for who? One of his servants. Yeah, he's coming pleading for his servant. Now Jesus listens to the man, right? And Jesus says to him in verse 7, I will go, oh, sorry, I will come and heal him. I will come and heal him. That's a promise, right? Is Jesus a liar? Hmm? Kirsten doesn't believe, anyone else? Anyone else? Can I get a vote? We, Jesus not, he's not a liar, is he? Jesus isn't a liar. So when Jesus says, I will come and heal him, the NIV says, uh, I will go and heal him. Your version might have something similar, but it's basically Jesus going to heal. He says, I'm going to heal. I am going there to heal him. I will come and heal him. Now, if Jesus did, did we, we know the rest of the story. Did Jesus actually go to where the servant was? Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? I hate it how the Bible messes with my head because Jesus never lies, but he says these words, I will come and heal him. But he doesn't go where the guy is. But the Roman officer, he says, he, he says to himself, oh, I'm actually unworthy to have Jesus at my home. I'm, I'm a Roman pig, right? I'm a Gentile pig. So he says to Jesus, I'm unworthy for you to come to my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be well. Do you notice that? Where Jesus says that? Uh, when uh, the Roman soldier says that? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Do you notice what comes after that phrase? Just a little bit further down, in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed at this man. Do you know there's 32 times that I've figured out in the Bible where people are amazed at Jesus, whether it be for a miracle or his teaching? You know, like it's just he's just amazed them. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching or the people were astonished or amazed at the miracle. 32 times people are astonished at Jesus, but there are only two examples of Jesus being amazed at people. Here in Matthew 8 and also in Mark 6. When we did the series in Mark 6, if you guys remember that far back, you probably don't, and that's okay. I don't remember what I had for dinner last week, but it kept me going. So <laughs> that's the main thing. Um, in Mark 6, I'll read it out to you. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, right, Galilee, right, uh, in Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? 
and the brother of James, Joseph, uh, uh, Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his, home, in his own town, among his relatives in his own home. And it says in verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Why? Because they had no faith. But yet he could still lay his hands and heal sick people. Like, that's still cool. But he couldn't do what he could normally do because their faith limited him. And it says in verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed. He was like, what? I can't believe how no faith there is here right now. That made no sense grammatically, but you know what I mean. So back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, we see Jesus being amazed, not at lack of faith, but at, at great faith. And it's a Roman Gentile soldier who's an unbeliever having great faith. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And so then Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, which is the word in Greek, Amen. And whenever Jesus says Amen, or I tell you the truth, something really important is going to come, right? So this is an educational opportunity for Jesus to teach something about great faith. He says, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And the NIV says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Who's Jesus talking to? Hmm? No. Open your Bibles. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the crowd, the disciples. Yep. What does it say in your Bible? Yeah. It says those following him. He's like, he goes, um, sorry, I'll get a bit excited here. But this is really cool because Matthew, by the way, is writing this gospel. He's a Jewish man, right? And you'd think that a Jewish man would give Abraham as the example of great faith. But he doesn't. He uses a Gentile, unbelieving, unclean Roman soldier. Like not just a soldier, but like authority, like the, the least Jewish person there could possibly be. And Jesus gets amazed at this guy's faith. And, he, and he's just looking at this non-Jewish person, right? And thinking, wow, hold it there. Hey, guys, my followers, look, 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 this is it. This is great faith. This is it right here. All right. This is great. This is what great faith looks like. Don't you hate it how God uses the world to teach the church sometimes? Like, have you ever met people in your life that have shown great faith and put yours to the test? I remember when we came down from Queensland to live here and, and followed God's call. And I remember the guy that was helping me drive the truck down. Um, not, a, not a Christian really man. Like he believed in God. But he, would, he wasn't really like a, you know, I wouldn't say a born-again Christian, all right? But we're driving down the, in the truck, and, uh, and I'm having these doubts, and I'm thinking, oh, gee, I haven't heard from the real estate agents, or I'm not really not sure if this is the right thing. And this guy, driving the truck, would say to me, did God tell you or not? And I'm like, yeah, he did. Well, what else is there? And I'm like, well, surely you could just, you know, send an angel or, you know, <laughs> write it down. <laughs> no. Nah. This guy had better faith than I did in that point. 
It's an educational experience, uh, opportunity for Jesus. So he turns to his followers and he says, now I've broken it down, this great faith. What did actually Jesus see in this guy? I've broken it down to three things. I've tried my best. I might not be fully, it might not be perfect, but this is what I figured Jesus saw in this centurion Roman soldier guy. Okay. Number one, Jesus is the authority, like the authority. Doesn't matter what situation you're facing, Jesus is the authority. This guy understood authority, right? He, he said, I say this and they do it. So Jesus, you just have to say it and it's going to be done. It's, it's not too complicated, is it? It's pretty straight down the line. <laughs> Jesus is the authority. Remember, our faith is only as strong as what we believe about the object of our faith. Uh, number two, Jesus' spoken word or his voice or his promise is enough. Jesus didn't end up going to where the location was, right? But he spoke and that was enough. This man, he knew that. He said, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. I don't want to waste anyone's time. I just want to get straight to the point, right? Number three, so there's Jesus is the authority. Number two, Jesus' voice or spoken word or promise is enough, okay? I think it was Billy Graham that said, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Something like that. Like, that's just it. I love that. And number three, Jesus doesn't have to be on location. All right. That kind of faith gets Jesus' attention. And he wants his followers to take notice. Hey, guys, look, this guy knows what it's like to have real faith. And um, what does verse 13 say? Jesus says to this guy, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. Hmm. Just as you believed it would, it'd be done. So it's based on faith. God can do anything, can't he? He can do anything that we can, he can do more than what we could dream or ask or imagine, right? According to his power at work within us. That's the condition. Oh God, God do something amazing in Pakenham. We're just believing for it right now. And God's saying, you've got two feet in a mouth. <laughs> believe. Believe. Um, finish with that. Yeah, good. Now, skip over to verse 23. And I'm done. Soon. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. So it seems to me like the disciples didn't get the lesson. What were the, what were the three things? Jesus is the authority. Whatever he, Whatever he says goes, basically. Yep. His voice, his spoken word, his promise is enough. Right? And the last one is... He doesn't have to be on location. He doesn't have to be on location. That's the, that's the, you know, Jesus said, 
this to his disciples. You will do greater things because I am going to the Father. And he was, it was in the context of miracles, doing amazing things. Jesus was doing amazing things, right? And he said to his disciples, you will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What's he mean? The Holy Spirit is coming upon not just one person to minister to a little town in Palestine, but the Holy Spirit is coming upon all people that believe in Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to be on location. That's why, that's why we're a church, because we're the body of Christ. But he's still the authority, and he still speaks, and he still makes promise. All right, so what they didn't understand is that those principles. Why? Because what we see is they're in a storm, and they get afraid. And what they do is they come to Jesus, and they ask for help, which doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? You're in a storm. Jesus is the guy. He does all the powerful things. He happens to be asleep. He doesn't realize there's a storm. Let's wake him up. He'll fix the problem. Done. But Jesus is actually says to them, after they come to him with that solution, he says to them, why are you afraid? You've got so little faith. Not, oh, thank you for your faith in me. Thank you for, for asking me to help you and trusting my power. He doesn't say that. He says, You've got little faith. Why are you afraid? Why? Because they didn't learn the lesson before. Jesus is the authority. Remember, our faith is only as strong as what we believe about the object of our faith. Jesus' spoken word, his promise is enough. I want you to look at verse 18 in your Bibles of Matthew chapter 8. Verse 18. Someone want to read it out? What's it say? Jesus saw the crowd around him. He, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. He instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. To what? Cross to the other side of the lake. He instructed them. All oh, right. Sounds like a promise to me. Jesus wouldn't get you to do something that would cause you to fall or make you look like an idiot. He's actually trying to, he would ask you to do something that would grow your faith or grow your love or grow your hope. Will grow your relationship with him. It's like bodybuilding. No one likes it. It, it hurts, but it, it works. Okay? If you stick at it. <laughs> but here they are. Jesus is the authority. Right? They understood that point. But they forgot about the promise that Jesus gave them, that they were going to get to the other side of the lake. And they didn't realize that they were the ones who possibly could have acted in faith to still the storm. Who knows what Jesus was trying to get them to do? What can we learn from this? How does this hands-on holiness thing apply? Well, what is holiness? It's Christ-likeness, right? No one wants to be holier than thou, disconnected from society, but people need Jesus, and they need to see Jesus in us as we represent him, as we represent him to the world, becoming more like him on a daily basis. Being real people, getting real with the real God. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. The point is, God wants us to all become more like Christ every day. We've been given the Holy Spirit to help us 
to do that. As we submit to him every single day, <clears throat> every single day, we have the opportunity to present Jesus to the world around us. They certainly need hope. They certainly need love. They could do with some faith. The measure that Christ is represented depends upon us, depends upon our faith in him. The measure that Christ was able to heal the centurion's servants or calm the disciples' storm was largely dependent upon faith. He can do anything, he, he can do anything, right? But he has got his followers on a journey of faith. The servant was paralyzed. This centurion servant was paralyzed and in pain. And sometimes there can be stuff like that in our life. Do you know, do you know anyone in your life, in your street, in your family, in your neighborhood who are paralyzed? Like emotionally or mentally or physically? Or spiritually, I'm sure we all know someone like that. What did this centurion guy do? He came pleaded with Jesus. He didn't care what anyone else thought about him. He just came for the miracle and he believed. He just said, Jesus, just say the word. It'll be done. The storm was interrupting the promise of crossing to the other side for the disciples. What seems to be interrupting the promise in your life? Has God promised you something? Often there will be something like a storm that interrupts. There'll be some kind of contentious issue that, that seeks to, to get your attention off of the promise that God has given you. Jesus said to his disciples um, after the Great Commission, he said, I am with you to the very end of the age. Sometimes situations come our way where they, they try and get our attention away from the fact that God is with us. And we feel like we're in a storm and he doesn't care and he's asleep. Jesus is the authority. Jesus' spoken word and his promise is enough. Lord, you said it. I believe it. That settles it. Jesus doesn't have to be on location. But he said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And that hasn't finished yet. The age is still happening. It's the age of grace. People have an opportunity to come to Jesus. And he uses people like us. That just blows my mind. No offense to you guys. But I'm just thinking of me like, you know, and that's just grace. And so I just want to encourage you all, especially as we get back together face to face and as things start opening up, that, you know, no one's, no one's, I'm not telling anyone to be an evangelist and get on a soapbox and start preaching the gospel, you know, out loud down the street as loud as you can. That's not what I think will change the world. I think what will change the world is, is our life, one day at a time, becoming more like Jesus. And we won't judge each other on that journey because some of us are closer to Jesus than others. Hey, Bob. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, sorry, I'm not judging. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like, like we're all just in this together and everyone's just trusting Jesus as much as we can, growing in our faith, growing in our hope, growing in our love, and we'll get there one day. But um, it's just so good to know that God's not finished with you. That's all I really have to share tonight. Um, hopefully, there's something in there encourage you. Um, but if you, um, yeah, if you want prayer or anything later, just come and talk to me, and I'm happy to pray. You know, I could do with some prayer. <laughs> Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you so much that uh, you are not finished with us, and that you have a plan in your heart 
to conform us into the image of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. That, Lord, as he was in this world, that we might be too. And that's, Lord, that's something that doesn't make sense to our, to our thinking, to our natural way of thinking. Um, Lord, because uh, we mess up, we fail. Uh, we make mistakes. Sometimes we don't hear you clearly. Uh, sometimes we, we just willingly walk away from what you want us to do. But Lord, we pray that you would grow us each to be more like Jesus every day. Encourage us, God, to trust you with this same faith as this Gentile um, centurion. And let's just thank you so much, Lord, that you have, um, yeah, that you've taught us what it means to have great faith tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you just help us to be real about that and put it into practice in our life so that the world will see that you love them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.